Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber, and today we have two guests. Matt Freeman. And Jason Kleinberg. Hello, Matt and Jason. Thank you for joining us. Our pleasure. The, Glad to be here. The reason that we have invited the two of you on is because you both have children, and you're both rationalists and trying to do some kind of rationalist children-raising thing, which Stephen and me have no idea anything about it, because we are child-free, is the term I prefer, rather than <laughs> childless. I'm not so... I'm not, I'm not on the high horse there. I just happen to not have kids. I also thought it'd be nice to get your guys' perspective because we did a whole episode on child, or I guess on the decision to have kids, maybe with on a touching on child rearing, and none of us had kids. So it's kind of like just one of those pointless abstract conversations where none of us have firsthand experience. So I thought you guys could weigh in on all the stuff we got wrong because I'm sure we missed something. Yeah, I listened to that one, so I'd, I'd be happy to weigh in there. Yeah, I listened to it, and I was definitely yelling at my... Uh at my audio device at the time. Cool. Excellent. I want to talk about that. <laughs> uh, well, then let's start in on that. Uh, you said that you were uh, having to yell at the audio device, and I want to know if, if there's anything you remember specifically that you want to address. Well, let's see. I think it was you were talking about um, how being a rationalist kind of made it more difficult for you to be a parent. Um, and it was it was specifically regarding the autonomy and uh, a, a respect for 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 the individual, uh, and and so being able to, or being a I'm totally butchering what you said, okay. um, <laughs> and and so uh, it would make it difficult for you to be a parent, um, and I I think that I'm a good parent. For those exact same reasons. I wish we could remember some of the specific things that we might have said. It's been so long since we recorded that too that I, I'm having a harder time recalling. I kind of wish I had gone back and re-listened to it today. So, so I was one one thing I remember um, being talked about was was the idea that like the uh, the felt desire to have children was somehow icky. And I was thinking, as soon as I heard that, I was like, well, I mean, it, it's it's among the most basic human uh, uh, feelings. Like, like how, how is the desire for food or sex or human connection any more noble than the, than, than like the felt desire to have children or to snuggle with children? I think that was particularly what it was, is like, uh, someone on the podcast said it was. It seems weird to like want to snuggle with a child, and I'm like, well, that's first of all, that's the same instinct where you want to snuggle with a with a puppy, and that's that's not viewed as icky. So I, I don't know. It just that, that that struck me in particular. Yeah, or another person in general. Yeah. Um, we all we all like having that contact. I think I believe Shelley said that even wanting to snuggle with a puppy was kind of gross to her because again, she <laughs> had the whole the helpless thing that is dependent on you. Uh, uh, aversion. Yeah. Did, did you have this desire to have kids before you had kids? Um, I, I didn't have the, I, I, so maybe, maybe borderline sex or smart sexist remark, but I, I feel like women have it more strongly than men. So I, I didn't have the like mm. urgent burning need to have kids, but I, I always wanted them in the abstract. So, so that's, yeah. I mean, and then once enough. you had the kid, you felt that desire much more. Can I ask Jason if he had the same or a similar thing, or did you want kids even before? Um, I, I've 
pretty much always wanted to have kids. Um, I, I, I had a pretty awesome childhood. I have fantastic parents that were a really great uh, example and resource for me. So I always kind of like that idea of, of continuing that. Did you like notice a, a greater emotional de- desire to like have a child to care for after you had the kid? Um, I don't know. You know, here's, here's one thing that I've always like kind of thought annoying about parenting. Uh, it's not, it's not parenting in itself. It's parents, how they, how you'll often hear people say things like, Oh, well, until you have a child, you'll just never know. And that's just wrong. Um, I've got a really good imagination and uh, like all those things that they said that you won't know until you're a parent, I kind of figured it out beforehand and it's, it's pretty much what I expected. It's challenging, but awesome. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Like one thing that, that I talk about sometimes, and this, I, I don't know if this is in contradiction to what you just said, but maybe it's, I think everyone has their own lens and way of talking about it. Like I do feel like having kids rewired me, um, and I, and I think I've said that before in some other contexts, but, um, to, you know, what took me and made me a slightly different person who, who was now concerned with, with the kids in a way that I had never been concerned with any person. Like you, you, you like to think that you would like, you know, step in front of a train to save your best friend or whatever, but you, you know, when you have kids on an instinctive level, that you would do that. Like, I don't know if that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me in, in terms of like the, the felt, the felt difference between the two sensations of those two hypotheticals. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It, 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 it changed my priorities. Um, so instead of just being, you know, mostly concerned about my own needs and, and, um, you know, needs of, of, uh, my partner's, I have this, this thing that this person, not thing, this person that is very much dependent on, on me and my survival. Uh, so it's, it's been very motivating, um, to, to want to make sure that he has as, as good of a life as possible and that he survives. And yeah, I agree. If, if, if it's, if, I am going to be able to save his life in a way that's going to, in mine, I will probably do that. Oh. I can't say yes for sure because you know I've never actually been in that, but very likely. Yeah, I, I don't know why exactly I chose that particular hypothetical other than like it's, it's a question where it returns a very clear answer for me. Um, yeah. Whereas like if it's for anyone other than my children, I'm just like, well, I like to think that in the right circumstances I would behave that way, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Does that detract from the other goals you're pursuing in your life now that you have this new overriding goal? I don't know if it would be an overriding goal. Um, it's something that I always have to take in, in consideration, but it's, it doesn't feel all that different than like when you have a, a partner that you live with or, well, that's not true because they, he, my son is not, He's still a young child, so he can't quite make all of the decisions on his own just yet. Um, so he he's not fully responsible for his actions. But 
I, I don't think it's it's changed me in in or changed my other goals as much as it's just reprioritize things. Yeah, I don't feel like I've become any less productive. Um, but like I still, I still, you know, work a job and I was able to finish my PhD when I, after I had had my first kid and it, like you could argue it might, it maybe it took longer because I had a kid at that time. Um, but I still did it. And it's, if anything, I think it's made me more disciplined and clearly prioritize things because like, for example, before I had a kid, I would, um, I would work at work and then I would come home and like the laptop would be on and in my lap or whatever. And I would be, you know, half-assed working essentially all the time. Um, and not only is that not healthy, but it's probably not effective either. And now when I'm at work, I focus on work and I know I don't have any other opportunity to, to focus on work. So I have to do the work at work. And when I'm at home, I'm fully present with the kids to the extent possible. Um, so, so like that, the, the net productivity either didn't change or for a while I was even, even convinced that I was more productive with a kid because it gave me a, a, uh, something to protect as it were. Um, but I, I can't prove that. So this is going to sound kind of weird, but I have this fear of uh, loving things because then they can be used against you in in like, you know, the the mafia boss kind of like, yeah, it'd be a shame if something happened to your kid, eh? And I I don't do. Do you not have like a terror of that kind hanging over your head? So I I kind of do. um, And um. I actually have some 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 notes on this topic, um, J- Jason. What what do you feel about that first, though? Um, I actually don't. Now um, you do. <laughs> I, it's not something. Well, I have had that 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 fear. Um, I'm I'm polyamorous, and so you know that's kind of like a thing in some communities where that can be a problem. Uh-huh. Um, but in general. No, I don't. Um, one of the things that I've always, that's kind of an essential part of my uh, parenting philosophy is I, I have like a risk threshold. And if, if the, if it's not, if something doesn't have a greater than like say a one in a thousand chance of happening, I'm just simply not going to worry about it. And so yes, if that happened, it would be catastrophic for me. But the rarity of that event happening is is so high that it just doesn't really register for me. Step one, don't make enemies of the mob. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, but I mean, the mob was kind of an extreme example. There's lots of people, if you even draw attention online, there's people that will like track down where your kids go to school and send you pictures and be like, hey, shut your mouth, and then... I don't, I don't even know what the fuck I would do. Like if they're threatening me, then at least I feel like, well, I'm willing to die for, you know, saying the wrong thing or whatever. I don't want to die, but at least it's just myself I'm risking. But if they were coming after my kids, I don't even like know what I would do at that point. Yeah. So uh, like, I guess, I guess I don't have, I don't have an anxiety about risk to the kids um, in, in a, in a generalized way. Like I don't entertain hypotheticals like that. And it kind of like Jason said, like if it's a low probability thing, I'm just able to dismiss it largely. Um, however, like 
one thing that I had in mind coming into this was like, I don't actually just want this to be like a, a hour long or whatever sales pitch for having kids because I'd, I'd rather give everyone a circumspect view of like what it entails. And like I, I wrote, I wrote down this list of things and it's kind of a mix of, of things that have happened to me and things that have happened to parents that I know. And then just like a, a few things thrown in there just to just of things that happen to people. And that would just be like, really high fevers in your baby and you don't know how to handle it and you end up having to hospitalize them and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, a premature baby, like like a severely premature baby who has to stay in the NICU for a month or two. Hey, that was me. That was... Oh, really? I don't think it was a month. It was a couple weeks or so. Yeah. I don't really remember. I, mean, I might as, I might as yeah, well it, say... It immediately post-birth. I don't remember. But as far as the time frame I was given, it was something like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my first daughter, actually. So, like, that's that's kind of a... Uh, unwelcome surprise for your your first experience with kids to be something that's actually much worse than you expected. Um, but then of course there's like SIDS, there's and then there's like a million small things after you've had the kid where it's not really deadly dangerous, but it's just something you didn't like anticipate. Like like a kid who really doesn't sleep for the first three years of their life. Like you didn't, you, you, you didn't bargain for that. Right. Like, and, and now, now it's something that's really affecting you. And, and, uh, so my list had more things on it, but I, I think I made my point of, of, of there's, you, you do expose yourself to the possibility of negative experiences with kids, but like, even, even with all the stuff that I've experienced, it's still like by far, uh, a choice that I'm happy with personally. Yeah, I had a similar kind of thing with uh, with my kid uh, when when he was uh, born. He was born with um, his digestive system wasn't really fully developed, and so he was always crying for like the first month or two, and it was just nerve wracking. And yet, in those times where I could get him to calm down. Just like sitting there swaying with them and singing to them are some of the happiest memories of my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree that like getting through that stuff is its own reward on some level. And I think we must be wired for that in some way because it's, I'm sure this has always been the case for all mammals practically. Like raising the, raising the kid in and of itself is, is not rewarding in an objective sense. So you're, brain kind of finds ways to make it rewarding for you and and those feelings are just as authentic as any feelings why why would you choose to get get your happy feelings through that route as opposed to something else well i don't think it's a an either or thing first of all it's it's a it's a qualitatively different uh flavor of 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 qualia in general i mean it's it's just a like i can't get the warm fuzzies that i get from children by um, engaging in a really deep philosophical conversation and vice versa. Although when my children grow up, maybe I will be able to have uh, deep philosophical conversations. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's like a whole, I mean, so, so and, and I guess this is like the, the, the main sales pitch that I had kind of walking in was like, it's this whole, it's this whole like uh, avenue of human experience that I didn't even realize existed and, and I mean, it, it's, it's the closest I'm going to get to saying, like, you'll just never understand unless you had kids. But, <laughs> but, but like, it's the kind of thing where it's like, if you've never had food and someone's like, yeah, you should really try food. It's pretty cool. Like you get all these 
experiences in your mouth and you're just like, I don't see the point. I, I have a tube that goes in my stomach. Why would I? It's like, well, I mean, the, I hear the same thing about hallucinogens. That, like you just, you can't really explain it. You have to try it. That's actually what I was going to going to bring up as an analogy, but I don't know if either of you guys could relate. Um, that is the kind of experience that you can't like articulate to somebody in a way. It's like, you know, trust me, it's just cool. And then if you try it and it was cool, then you're like, yeah, it was great. I can't really explain to you why it was great, but, uh, but, like if but it's a different a, kind of thing. If you have a bad trip, you come down after eight hours. If you have a bad kid, you got 18 years <laughs> and really basically your entire life. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, I mean, that's, I, I, I want to, I want to dismiss that as, as a joke, but like, uh, that's, that's a reality for some people. I mean, it's not a reality for me, but like, some people have like a psychopathic kid, right? Yeah. So, so uh, before we go on to the next topic, I was kind of wondering on on more utilitarian terms. I assume both of you get the feeling that, well, or maybe you, maybe this has nothing to do with it. But do you have the impression that the world is better off with your kids in it? Is is the absolutely yeah? But yeah. Um. Well, the thing is, is so. <sighs> My, my, I'm biased. I know this, uh, but my kid's pretty awesome. Like he's, he's extremely caring, extremely, uh, good at communicating, um, for a kid, his age and identifying his emotions and being able to help people kind of calm down. And, um, he, he always makes friends very easily. And these are, these are traits in people that I admire. Um, and it's, it's rewarding to see that in someone that I have helped become that kind of person. Yeah. I mean, for, for my part, I, I kind of view my life as having been good and, and worth living, et cetera. And, and like I'm, I have the wherewithal, I think, to provide any kids that I have with, the same level of, of like attention and love and material comfort that I had, if not more in some cases, you know? Um, so like, like one thing, one thing for me, um, is that my brother was, was like, is, uh, still like a, a huge part of my life. And he's kind of one of my like top, top tier, you know, Maslow, uh, what, what is it? The monkey sphere, uh, people, and, and so I was always like, well, if I'm going to have one kid, I'm going to have more than one kid. Cause, cause like I couldn't, and I, I, I fully recognize this is a, this is a bias of my own, but I was like, I, I, I can't actually guarantee that life would be worth living without a sibling. So I'm going to go ahead and make sure that, so, so I have three kids, um, just, just to, you know, cover all the bases. Um, but like, because I got so much value out of, out of my relationship with my brother, I'm like, well, I'm going to give my kids the gift of having those, those type of relationships with each other. And I'm, and I'm glad I did that too, because they're, uh, well, one of them is a baby, but the two who are old enough to communicate are, are like best friends and they play all the time. And, um, it's, it's, it's everything I could have hoped actually. So, so that's like, I, I look at my kids playing and I'm like, I have no doubt that in this moment I've created something of, of value to the universe or for its own sake, whatever. I oh, damn, that's so sweet. I almost got a cavity Aww. and almost cried. Um, <laughs> I think we forgot to ask, uh, how old are your guys' kids? Uh, I just have one and he is just turned seven. 
Uh, my oldest is going to turn five shortly. Um, my middle one is about three and a half and the youngest turned one recently. So fairly tight spread and they're all really small still. So keep in mind, neither of us have the experience of having a teenager yet. Right. That's, that's one thing I was, I was thinking coming in. I was like, you know, this could all just turn south really badly and I could be giving people <laughs> terrible advice. I, I think you guys are kind of on the forefront though. I don't know of any rationalist people that have teenagers yet, at least not in the, in the rational circles I'm familiar with. Yeah, I don't either. Bottom. Uh, it's still kind of a young community for that, I guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, we, since we, this isn't entirely just about whether have kids or not, we wanted to go on to actual uh, rational or optimal parenting. Oh, I had a quick, quick, quick thing to throw out you guys really quick. Are either of you guys familiar with the comedy of Louis C.K.? Oh, yeah. Yes. How, how does that map onto actual parenting compared to his uh, portrayal of it? I've gotten mixed reviews from parents, so I'm, I'm curious what you guys um, think. Episodically, yes. I mean, he's he's obviously going to be exaggerating and whatnot, um, but no, that there's there's definitely a lot to that. There are times where I am exasperated and frustrated, and you know, just going out of my mind trying to to not kill my child. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know. It, that also comes with any kind of relationship um, because there's a lot of good stuff too. He has this but great, yeah, no, that that's totally the case. Yeah. That's, that's good to hear. I, or I mean that, you, you know, that is worth it. He has this great line that I like. Um, he has a lot of stuff on parenting. I'll find a good clip and put it in the comments for the episode. But uh, one of them was like, you know, I can hold my daughter and just be moved to tears by how much I love her. And it's amazing. And at the same time, I kind of wish you'd never been born. <laughs> uh, I get the I get the impression that neither of you guys have that regret because I don't know. You did, you know I'm not close with you know he he doesn't I, I divulge it that much but I don't know if you plan on having kids or not but he has that line and someone told me he's like oh my god I feel bad just you know verbalizing that thought but it's so true. Yeah, I mean I think I think there's definitely a lot of truth to the uh, to the anecdotes and everything. I mean, but like you can tell that Lucy K loves his kids. He's he's just expressing how absurd life with kids can be, and that's completely true. Right on. I had to get that out there. Uh, I yeah. I I actually, while things there are certain aspects of my life that would be easier, it's definitely not something that that I have regretted. My life is way better for it. Um, also, I have really awesome parents that will watch my kid. They ask to watch my kid pretty much whenever I want. Solid. Yeah, that's a, a resource if you need, you know, an afternoon to go to the movies or something. Or or a weekend to not strangle your kids. He has this joke about, like, those little vacations from your kids, and he, he paints it up like, you know, taking a weekend to yourself, but then he's like, yeah, those little vacations, like, where you close them in the backseat of the car, and then you close the door, and that short walk around the car to the driver's side, just those minutes, like, oh, God, catch your breath for a second. <laughs> <laughs> not, I don't think this is too much of a tangent, but, I mean, it is one thing that I'm constantly aware of is like, especially when I'm feeling overwhelmed by, by parenting, I'm like, this is not natural. What's natural is that I'm surrounded by, by blood relatives, including my parents who are also hardwired to love and want to take care of these creatures. And when I'm overwhelmed, I should be able to go lie down and my, and my parents or whatever would just come in and, and everyone, and the load would be more, more evenly distributed 
Um, or, or aunts or uncles or cousins. Exactly. So that's one thing. I like, like, I mean, and my parents are very supportive, but they don't live near here. Um, and so it's like, yeah, the, the, uh, just one of these ways in which uh, modern society is, is making things a little bit harder for us. But you do it anyway? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not like soul-breakingly hard. It's just, it just you feel frustrated in the moment that it shouldn't be as hard as it is. Do you think uh, it makes the kids' lives less rich? Sure, yeah. Like I mean, what specifically? To not have like a large extended family that are all like living together in a same very small area, maybe even same house. I mean, I don't have any experience with the with the counterfactual where you would have that. But I kind of do. Um I mean, once again I'm poly, so like I have a pretty big family. Um my wife and I are are, are separated. Um but she's she's dating like my best friend since middle school. Um, he has a daughter that uh, is uh, just a few years older, and he and my son considers uh, her his, his stepsister. Um, and uh, my partner and uh, her daughter love my son as well. Um, and you know, previous partners that I've had have been the same. Um, I also live with my wife's cousin, um, and he's always helping out and doing things uh, with with my son as well. And so, yeah, I've, I've my my son's kind of got a a bit of a village looking after him. Okay. Uh, anything else before we move on? I want to volunteer quickly that uh, my I know someone very close to me was a single kid. You know, just her and her two parents, and. It worked out great for her. I think she had like the best parents for that relationship dynamic. And so she did miss out on having siblings. Uh, I have a twin brother, so I had a close sibling and I have an older sister. But I feel like she turned out remarkably well adjusted. So I, I just didn't want any any single kids uh, hearing this to you know think that your life is forever impoverished for having missed that relationship. You're probably missing out on having that relationship. But I mean, everyone's missing out on something, right? So uh Anyway, always opportunity cost. Yeah, I, I just I didn't want to make it. I didn't want to. I was trying to anticipate someone writing and be like, "Hey, you guys shat on single kids or whatever." Or I don't know what you call that. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> only kids. Only yeah, kids. Only yeah. Kid. yeah, and I didn't mean to say that either. It was it's more like I have no idea. I, I wouldn't have any idea what I was doing if I had if I had an only child because I model myself on kind of the way my parents did things so so much on, even on even on an unconscious level. For the first two years, you had an only kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what's funny about that is, like, uh, so, so me and my wife put, you know, inf- infinite energy into the one kid for that period of time, and now you know when the third kid rolls around, there's just so much going on that you can't put that level of energy into the third kid, and what you realize is not. It is not um oh i'm really letting the third kid down i wish that i i wish that i could devote that level of energy to this to the third kid what, what you realize is that you didn't need to put that much energy into a baby um yeah and, and if, if anything <laughs> she's actually just enjoying having these two other crazy little creatures running around to watch and, and inter- interact with in some ways i think having more than one kid is easier at times says the guy that only has one well i mean like i, I it, what it does in my in my in my experience, which is admittedly sort of short term, um, 
is it forces you to be disciplined and organized and to slow down. Um, so like when, when, it, like, you know, whenever, whenever, every time you want to go into the grocery store, you have to get three kids out of three car seats and get the appropriate number of shopping carts or, or strollers or whatever to make that happen. You, there, you, you, you know, you just know that, that that's going to be a, that's going to be a process. Whereas if you have one kid, you, you, you tend to get, you actually tend to get ironically or, or whatever the word is, um, complacent. Yeah, you, you get complacent, and you also get like impatient with small delays, and and it's like when you know that there's going to be a delay, you just you just work the delay in. You're just like whatever. I'm getting this is the part where I get all the kids out of the car. I'm not going to pretend that this is fast, um, and then it's fine. It's like stoicism. It's like you you expose yourself to the thing that you're that, that's going to be hard, and you accept it, and then it's not hard. I feel like that transitions neatly into, you know, a quasi-rationalist approach, or at least somewhat relating to rationalist approach to parenting, because I imagine other parents just get three times as upset, right? As opposed to, like, just, you know, having it spread out and just realizing that this is just a fact of how my grocery shopping process now works, they're just three times as pissed. Yeah, how's, how's your um, background in rationality affected how you do parenting? Um, so, yeah, I guess I'll... I have a couple of, of notes here. Like one, one, there's a few different things, but like one of them would be like how I talk to the kids in a number of ways. So like I try to do the, I try, I try to do the growth mindset thing for one thing where I, I compliment um, effort or, or like I'll, I'll say something specific that I like about some specific thing that they've done um, rather than just saying that they're a good, you know, good boy or whatever. Um, and that actually feels better. Like once, you, like as soon as you start doing it, you're just like, I feel like I'm actually helping them rather than just patting them on the head with with no real value. Um, yeah. Do you do you have anything to add there, Jason? Uh, yeah, it's it's providing that that valuable feedback, and and um, I, I agree. Uh, another thing for me is um, I I try to. Um, use proven techniques. Um, I tried to actually use, you know, real science on it and avoid the, a lot of woo that's around parenting. Um, I also, what would you, what um, would you qualify as the real science? Um, so like what he was saying about, um, about not just saying you are good or you, you, you are bad. You're saying, or you, you, so much that the, the you, um, you're so smart. No, I don't say that. I said you worked really hard on this, and look what you did. You actually accomplished it. Or it's okay to be wrong. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. It's better that we admit it, learn from it, so that we can we can be less wrong in the future. And and those those I guess that's not so much uh, a scientific approach as. Uh, from from a rational uh, approach, but um, I, I I do try to keep up with uh, like behavioral science. Yeah, like the, the jamming up here. The, the, the behavioral <laughs> like behavioral modification is one thing where where I've tried to be more like evidence based and using um, using techniques that were actually like taught to me by a professional. Where um, you know. You, you you give there's like an algorithm basically it's fairly 
it's a fairly complex algorithm, but um, complex in the sense that there are a lot of kind of like forking paths that you can go down. Uh, but once you put it into practice, it just kind of becomes instinctive. But it's like, and, and I don't know, you can feel free if you, if you think this is, uh, if this is like strongly different from what you do, tell me. Um, but, but like it would be, um, if, if you give the kid a, a command, first of all, you want to, you want to kind of minimize commands because otherwise the kid just, just gets overwhelmed. They're just like, no, never, I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, you give them a command and if they don't, I don't know, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to mess up saying it. But like the, the point is it, it's a very fixed thing where the kid learns that if they don't comply with the command, then they're going to get like the consequence of going to timeout. And if they go, if they don't go to timeout promptly, then they start losing privileges in a very systematized way very quickly. So it's just basically creating a very clear incentive gradient that causes them to obey the commands. And like, like I said, if you give too many commands, then basically their life is better if they just don't listen to you than if they do listen to you. So, um, that doesn't work either. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act, but like th that was really helpful to me because like, if you have a kid who just doesn't listen, mm -hmm. then it's really helpful to have, um, some kind of like method for dealing with it that, that is kind of almost like a, an algorithm that's outside of your hands. You don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I actually, I tend to avoid, um, uh, punishments. Um, I tend, I focus on consequences um, so one of the things that, uh, is that I do with, with my son is, uh, every night I read to him, I'm reading the Harry Potter series to him and, um, he, it's just, it's one of those things that we love doing together, but every once in a while, like if he's just acting like a little asshole, <laughs> you know, before bed and I'm just like getting frustrated and he's it's not working i'm like all right look i'm just not going to do this tonight because this does not i'm not in the right kind of place for this so i love you very much good night i will see you in the morning and he he understands that like if if he acts like an asshole to me he's not going to get what he wants and and without it having to be a direct punishment luckily that works for my son it doesn't always work that way for every kid they're all different um, but I've, I've been very lucky in not having to rely too much on, on punishments and, and use more positive, uh, and negative reinforcement. Do you, do you, um, I guess, did you grow up with corporal punishment? I actually have a question. Well, first of all, I wanted to mention on your approach to, uh, like praise for children. I think, you know, having not being a parent and, only given this a cursory look that that what your approach seems to line up perfectly with what stuff i've read about you praise the effort and the actual achievements rather than like saying they have good character traits for having achieved what they did and because like uh are you familiar with this Inyash? like the point yes. is yeah. yeah so for anybody who's not it's basically like if they get a you know whatever an a on a paper or if they're younger whatever they I don't know what kids earn. Um, they turn in something at school and they get good marks or something. They get a gold star. <laughs> I don't know how this works. You say, they get hey, an you owl did, rather than a troll. Right. You did a really good job um, on this particular thing and this looks great. Rather than saying, you're great, you did it. Because then when they you know, get a B or a silver star or something, then they're like, oh, I must not be great because I didn't get an A. Right? So they, they, you can still say, hey, good job. You did this. Looks great. 
And that leaves room for growth, but that also doesn't tie their character in with their achievements. And I feel like that's got to do great for their psychology. Um, I honestly don't remember what I grew up with as far as that approach. Um, you I, mean the, the punishment thing? No, I meant as far as oh, the, the, uh, the my kind of praise I received. I'm sure I did get praise. I just can't remember. Uh, I, I was told all the time that like I'm gifted and I'm smart and stuff like that. I could have imagined that going the opposite way with your upbringing too because I'm not sure how Jehovah's Witnesses view like innate humanity if you were told you're a sinner from birth or something too. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it really impacts the child raising part of it at all. The which part? The, the, the being uh, born a sinner that's like divorced from how good you are as a kid. <laughs> wow. That's really nice that they didn't drill it into you. Cause I'm, I think I've definitely heard of, uh, I was going to say user reports of people's firsthand experiences of having that ingrained. Be like, yeah, I was told I was worthless from as old as I, as I could understand sentences. Sentences. That's probably much more of a uh, individual parent kind of thing. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I can't see either of my parents being cool with that. Fuck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and like I said, I I I had a, a fantastic childhood growing up. I never, I think my parents hit me twice growing up. Okay, not like you know like spanking kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was when I'd done something really really bad, and. They, I'm, I'm sure they even regretted it as after it happened anyway. I was going to say, my parents were never big on punishment. Uh, for what it's worth, my autobiographical memory is terrible. And I was just talking to my brother about this. And apparently there was some small level of corporal punishment involved, but not that I remember. Um, but I don't think we were like ever spanked. I think they might have tried it once. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't our thing. Um, I also only remember being like grounded once. And I was not a very ruly kid. I mean, we you know, played with fire and snuck out of the house and all the stuff you don't want your kids <laughs> doing. I mean, other than like getting hurt and going to the police station and going to the hospital and using drugs, like all the other stuff kids could do, we were into. Um, but they were just more about like kind of letting us do our own thing within, you know, as long as you color inside the lines, you can use whatever colors you want basically. Right. I remember like one example might be, they didn't really care. Like we didn't have a bedtime. We had a be quiet enough for us to go to bedtime. <laughs> and so at whatever time that was, um, we had a, at some point when I was a kid, we got a TV in our room and it was just like, turn the volume down, but I'm just turn it off. Like, I'm not sure if they ever tried like making us go to bed at some point. I, they, they probably may have, but I can't be sure. But I just explicitly remember just like, we don't care what you're doing as long as you don't keep us awake. Yeah. And that seems like a, like what I liked about that is that rule made a lot of sense, yeah. right? Like you have to go to bed at eight. It's like, well, I'm not tired. So I'm going to just be pissy. Like that doesn't seem like that would land that well. Now if that's your approach. I don't want to shit on it. Um, but <laughs> it, it worked great for me, but maybe it also just worked with my parents' parenting style and my kind of upbringing. It can also be your, like how old were you at that time too? God, I don't know. Um, oh wait, hold on. I can give some rough estimates. I remember the room I was in and I moved downstairs when I was, uh, I'm actually not sure. Somewhere between 13 and or 11 and 15. Oh, so, so you were in early teenage. Well, no, that's when I moved downstairs. The I remember specifically not having a bedtime when I was on the top bunk. Of I would have been 10 ish, give or take, two years. Okay. <laughs> Maybe three. <laughs> Somewhere in like a child age. Yeah, the thing is, is like kids, young kids especially, they just need more sleep for their brain to grow properly. Um, I'm always telling Perrin, that's my son's name, I'm always telling Perrin that when, you know, he wants to stay up, I'm like, 
sweetie, you need to go to sleep. You need more sleep than I do. That's why I'm staying up. When you get older, you will be able to do the same thing. That is why this is not unfair because you will have the same opportunity that I have now. Does he just not get tired when he is supposed to be tired? Because like you think if he needs sleep, he'd be tired. Um, kids are weird, uh, especially kids with ADHD. He, when he's tired, he becomes a lot more active. Like he wants to get up and jump and play and make noise, and he's emotionally volatile, and and he just doesn't want to sleep. That's like me when I'm and tired. I, yeah, I have no <laughs> clue why. Like it's, I can see that you're about to pass out. You're sitting there. You're sucking your thumb. Your your eyes are rolling in the back of your head, and yet you are fighting and saying, "I'm not tired." Yes, you are. Go yeah. lay down. Yeah, none of my kids have ever been like, oh, "I'm tired. I think I'm going to hit the hay." <laughs> they, they just want to keep playing forever. They I, just they don't have like the self knowledge to be able to do. I, I think that's accurate. Yeah, I mean, I, they lack introspective awareness almost completely on on everything. So that would be one of the things. Yeah. How so? Okay, this is going to sound a little bit strange because I know you love your kids completely and like would not advocate for any sort of calling them lesser humans or anything but how how far along they are they on the like personhood scale sort of thing if they don't have an introspective experience um well so so my they 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 have an inner life like so this is one thing about me that probably made me want to have kids more than some other things is like uh, i remember being a kid very much like more than most people like i have a lot of memories from being like two and three which a lot of people don't have any and I remember having an inner life, so so it like it helps me relate to my to my kids a lot. I think so. Like introspective awareness might be the wrong term. Um, like like one thing I, I thought about saying earlier when we were talking about behavior is like like behavior control is I I, I kind of try to introduce mindfulness concepts, especially to my oldest, um, as a way of you know both just because I think they're valuable, but also as a way of like understanding herself um and so one thing that'll happen now is like she'll do something that she knows she's not supposed to do and i'll i'll be like okay why did you do that and she'll say i tried to tell my brain not to do that my brain didn't listen huh and and, and it's like she's she's not just parroting she's not just parroting what i say because she'll use interesting linguistic constructs like that one that i never quite said that or anything like that exactly so she's trying to explain like, look, I know that I'm not supposed to do that, but I just felt compelled to do it. And then I didn't have the executive control to not do it. Um, and, and what's funny is whenever she says that, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> what's amazing is that's, yeah. that's a thought most adults wouldn't have, right? Like yeah. I've tried to do it. My brain just did it anyway. Like that's a level of mindfulness that I think most people go many decades without coming across. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how much of it might be saying what she knows I want to hear, but she, it, she at least has to understand the concepts well enough to say them in a way that I find intelligible. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my story there. Um, I, I tend to think that like there's certain things that just aren't there yet in, in my son, like certain levels of abstract thinking aren't there yet, but he's got ideas and opinions and, he uses logic, um, and and he's also introspective. Like uh, the other night, um, he was saying, "I'm 
feeling so angry. And I'm like, why are you feeling, are you angry at me? No, I'm not angry at anyone. I'm just feeling angry. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for not directing that at me. Um, and, you know, we, we talked from there. And it was probably just that, like, he needed to get something to eat. But he, he was aware enough to know that, like, I'm having this feeling. It may or may not be attached to something that's happening externally. I don't think I hit that level of introspection until I was an early teenager. I remember having thoughts like that where I could pinpoint like, man, I'm having feelings right now that don't make any sense. So I'm going to just kind of go sit and take care of that really quick. Uh, I wanted to mention, I'm not sure if either of you guys are aware of this. Uh, Annika Harris wrote a book on mindfulness for children um, that might, I'm not sure if you were aware because you mentioned specifically teaching your kid mindfulness. What is it called? It's called I Wonder. That's cool. Yeah, I I might check that out. Yeah. I... I've recently read an article and I just wanted to take, get both your opinion on this. Um, as quick background, like for some reason, kids have generally always liked me, like not all kids, but for like, they would always end up making friends with me. And I didn't necessarily always want to have kids as friends. Cause I'm like, you don't have very much interesting to say, but, uh, I had no idea why. And recently I read this article about how most people, or I don't know if most, a lot of people treat children as like non-persons. They will ignore their wishes and treat them as objects and do whatever and talk about them as if they aren't there. And I realized that maybe it's just that I don't do that. I, you know, I give them the consideration of a person and like talk to them rather than at them. And I was wondering, do you find, do you see that happening a lot? Absolutely. Um, It's one thing that I, I work very hard as a parent to avoid um, because I, I remember when I was a kid, all of the adults that just ignored me and, and just didn't care about what I said or what I thought, even when I felt like I was contributing to com- conversation. And so I, I really try to take those lessons of, of how I felt when I was a child and apply that to how I interact with not only my son, but children in general. Um, because they are people, they're just smaller and they don't really understand the world as well, but they're still people and, and to, to treat them any other way, it does them a, a grave disservice. They're usually more perceptive than people realize at, at, at almost in, at, at like any given age, like, like a three-year-old, even a three-year-old or, or maybe even a two-year-old is, I would say infant. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like they, they're perceiving things they can't articulate that they're perceiving it but they'll respond to it in an intelligent way um they can be i mean that the, the, like i already had a lot of respect for like the subconscious you know the the elephant process versus the the uh conscious writer process before i had kids but if anything that they just really kind of proved proved it because like you know that they're not like like my kids will like run interference for each other so that one of them can like escape. <laughs> um, and, and, and I know they're not, first of all, they're not talking to each other and they're not, they're also, I, I know I, I strongly suspect they're not like plotting it out in like careful. A causal trade motherfuckers. Yeah, r- r- mm-hmm. r- right. Exactly. Like they're, they're, they're literally, they're doing it instinctively or, or intuitively rather. They're doing it. They're doing a very complicated two man con in an intuitive <laughs> way that, that does not involve like verbal, rationalizations for things so 
it, this is one of those cases where like intelligence is definitely a separate thing from uh, reason, I guess you could say. You said the elephant approach versus something. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't yeah, I was use. about that too. I shouldn't use uh, extremely fringe things, but like the the the, the metaphor is like the the elephant is being ridden by by a man, and um, I put my own twist on it that I don't think is in the original literature. But like the elephant is the subconscious mind, and it's like bigger, and in some sense is more powerful. Um, but the writer who's up on top is you know, essentially thinks he's in control, but actually the elephant is the one who's really in control. And on the other hand, though, the writer can kind of see farther and call shots in, in like long range, like like long term plans that the elephant can't really comprehend because your, your subconscious is, while it has a lot of power, it's, it's fairly reactive to the present context. Um, so I don't know. I, I've, I use that metaphor a lot. Yeah. Like I like a that. good, That's solid. Yeah, like a good writer can lead his elephant and jo- and generally almost always get it to do more or less what he wants. But if the elephant really wants to do something, ain't a goddamn thing in the world the writer can do to stop it. Right. Yeah. And and, and there are so many human like you classify all the all the like human drives. I would say are our subconscious drives, and you're just like you know the the drive for the drive for a mate or whatever. You're you're like. That wasn't something that you decided through rational discourse with yourself. That's something c- coming up from deep in your in your brain, and you're like, "Well, okay, if I'm going to go about this, I'm going to go about it smart." And then the writer gets involved, but it's uh, it's the elephant's decision. Yeah, and oftentimes the writer can manipulate events to to such a matter that like the elephant never even realizes that there's a snake in the grass over there, or that it can be free from the snake holding its leg if it really wants to, because. With enough intelligence, you can you can make sure the elephant sees what it needs to see to go where you want to go. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you can totally use it as a metaphor for training your your subconscious to to behave better. Cool. Thank you for elaborating. So, any anything else that you parents do uh, that is informed by the rationality knowledge that you have? Oh, we didn't actually dive into uh, corporal punishment. Oh yeah, no, we didn't. How do you guys feel about that? Uh, I'm against it. Oh, the closest I've come is when my son was very, very little um, to just kind of like swat him away from something that would injure him. Um, but no, I, I don't think violence should be used as a uh, as a punishment. It, it's yeah, it's just anti-human, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the evidence is that it probably does more psychological harm than you're going to. Than, than the value that you're ever going to get out of it anyway. So, I sort of guessed you'd both say that, but I didn't want to make you feel bad if either of you guys were fans. <laughs> but yeah, you guys, I think you're right. That well, I that is what the the consensus is. Is that turns out hitting your kids isn't great for their psyches. I mean, I I feel like that like Jason? yeah, Jason's position on like swatting it away from a danger, even if it was you know, even if he could have gently guided their hand away from it or something, a SWAT will bring that lesson home without them also getting stung by a scorpion or something. Right. So it's like, you know, if I, if I deliver a bit of a painful message, it's not because, you know, I'm teaching you a lesson. Well, it's explicitly because you're teaching them not to touch the thing, but not because after they did it and you're like, you know, punishing them for it, right? Well, there's lot, And lots of times the, you know, the medium is the message. And so if something is literally harmful and dangerous to them, it can be okay to do the SWAT because it really gets it through, especially because it's right there and immediate. But if you take someone away from something and then intentionally hit them, like for no reason aside to cause pain, that's, I feel like that is a more sadistic thing and a less, it's not a good lesson anymore. It's not a good lesson. And I do think that there's something 
kind of fucked up about like grabbing somebody that's a third your body weight and hitting them, right? I mean, maybe it's my my thing on free will or even just free will as it approach as it applies to children, but like they don't have enough agency for like even that sort of lesson to really do anything. They're just gonna learn to, you know, lie and hide it or you know, I don't know, like a dog that pees in the carpet, you know, you find it half an hour later, they're up their face and they don't really quite get it. But all they know is that like, oh, he's pissed and I'm going to be scared now. I I don't know. I, I'm sure there's more articulate ways to put that. It feels like it's more for the, the parent than it is the kid. Because like that is emotionally satisfying, I guess, for some people. Um and if you've been raised you know, to you're really frustrated and angry and you want to do something and that's immediate, you know, and, and uh, you were doing your part to keep society of, safe from predator children or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like swatting the kid's hand away from a danger is falls under the umbrella of like a natural consequence. I don't know if, if the, the non-parents here are familiar with that term, but, but like the, the term in vogue, which I, I think I do like it actually is, is natural consequence uh, would be like, you know, rather than telling your kid like they're on the playground and you're like, be careful, don't go over there, watch out, don't go on those. You just let them play. And, and as long as it's within the scope of like reasonable safety, you just let them fall a few times doing the thing and they learn their capabilities or, you know, uh, that's that's only one example. There's 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 an infinitude of, of examples of of natural consequences of, of like you know you you e- even things where like oh well you you de- you you lied to me about this thing so now I'm not extending you the trust that you're gonna behave properly so you're gonna lose a lot of freedom over the next while. Um, that, there's there's a lot of ways of applying the concept. Basically, the concept is just like the the punishment is just the, the the thing that would happen if you were an adult and I were just letting you get the consequence of what you did, um, which is a negative consequence, and that's why you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, because then, then it becomes, uh, they, they can learn on their own, essentially. And those are the lessons that I've always learned the best with. When, when I can try something out, see what works, see what doesn't, and, and so that, that's definitely something I've tried to do with my son, is is to rely on those natural consequences. Uh, so going on, uh, I, I assume the focus isn't just on rationally raising kids, but on specifically raising rationalist kids to someday grow up and carry on. You know the the torch, the mission. I don't even know. Uh, Spread the good word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Knock on doors, hand out watchtowers, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, what? How how do you go about doing that, and is that a goal as well? It's kind of a minor goal, um, mostly because I want him to live the best life possible and, and to be successful in life. Um, if if ultimately he finds another philosophy that that speaks to him uh, more than than uh, rationality, then I'll support that. Um, but to me, it's it's the one that makes sense, and so those those are the ideals that I try to instill in him, and or not instill in him, to teach him and to uh, to appreciate those those sorts of things, and and to to always try to be better. So you're reading him Harry Potter at night. You're not reading him Judgment Under Uncertainty. 
Yeah, yeah. Matter of <laughs> fact, I, I even started uh, reading Harry Potter and Methods Rationality to him. Oh. I think he's a little bit young for that. I'm going to wait till we're done with the the uh, canon series. Smart. I I worry about getting kids like pre ten. I'm not sure at what age. There's what is it? Chapter eleven where Draco threatens to rape Luna Lovegood. Seven. Yeah. So that's. I mean, how do you explain that to an eight year old? I mean, maybe maybe if you're reading it to them. They're not reading it primarily. You could say beat up, and you could basically get the same point across. But still, uh, I don't know. I, I, I tend to um, I tend to just be open and honest with my son. And and whenever he has questions about something, I answer it. Um, that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about reading the Harry Potter series to him. Uh, it's given me such an opportunity to talk about things like death and um, slavery and 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 racism in in a way that's like relevant to the particular situation that we're talking about at that moment. And so I'm really looking forward to getting to uh, methods of rationality because he's such a huge Harry Potter fan and, and that we'll be able to have those kinds of conversations as well. And there's rape in the canon series as well. It's just not as oh, yeah. explicit. Right. When, when yeah. Umbridge is yeah, hauled off by the centaurs. And Voldemort drugging his dad or Voldemort's mom drugging his dad yeah. but like that's that's oh, yeah. different than flat like they don't use the word rape right because right, it's right. more but I, I understand yeah it's it's a whole thing I I had a long conversation with with my son about that scene the the Umbridge centaur scene no uh, oh, about the... um, Voldemort's um, mother um, drugging his his father okay uh, with, with a love potion and and keeping him prisoner for years yeah because he asked, why did, why did he go away? And I was like, okay, well, this is because he didn't actually want to be there. His, his will was being subverted. He was, it, she was taking control of his mind and making him do things that he wouldn't want to do. And, um, you know, we kind of went into some examples of that. And it was, it, was, it was an interesting experience. You can see, like, the comprehension dawn in his eyes. And he's just like, man, that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, other times he's just kind of like, okay. <laughs> or whatever the other, whatever the eight-year-old version is of that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those occasions where um, it pays to remember that, like, like, it actually takes time to develop that moral sense and that prefrontal cortex stuff that makes you actually have those feelings about things because, like, me and my brother always laugh about how we watched all these horribly violent movies when we were really really young um and they never bothered us and and then like like i mean maybe sometimes or some particular horrific thing would bother us but like it wasn't the psychological themes that would bother us it was the idea of a monster being in our room you know like like the level on which a scary movie works on a kid is is the level of like fear of of small you know creatures being in your proximity that are going to harm you because that's what a kid is concerned with it's not until you're older that you can even emotionally connect with something as yeah as abstract as those things i guess so so like you can explain fairly dire things to a kid and like like my five-year-old I, I can explain you know fairly detailed things that that might even be uncomfortable with an older kid but uh she's just like oh, okay yeah i get it I think I saw Pet Cemetery when I was six or seven, and it was more scary because, like, oh no, the you know the dogs now attacking the people or whatever. 
but then you see it as a teenager or somebody who can reflect on what's actually happening. You're like, oh my God, it's like a monster demon baby. Or like now the wife is this, you know, murder. Did anyone see Pet Cemetery? No. Oh, so the premise is that there's this like graveyard where if you bury stuff, they come back to life, but it's not them. So people will occasionally bury their pets there because it's like, oh, well, I'd rather have it still in the house. But like then it's just like this kind of asshole monster thing. Well, it's still like, it's not like a monster as it has like extra powers. It just is this evil version of that. So I guess horror alert, the guy's kid gets hit by a car and he buries him there. And then it's this little psychopath kid. And then I think the wife, maybe there was two movies. There was Pet Cemetery 2. And one of them, they bury an adult there and it comes back as a murderer. Unless I'm completely misremembering. But most part of that is true. Anyway, the level of horror that I got as a kid, was like, you know, the scary darkness and the loud music and whatever. But like the, the full on horror level of it isn't like, isn't something you can get until you're much older. So, Yeah. And, and another thing that I think about in, in this context is like kids used to grow up on farms and twist the heads off chickens and be involved in, you know, butchery of animals. And it never, it didn't bother them. You know, it, it didn't, didn't bother them the first time they saw it and they just grew up used to it. So there's nothing, humans can adapt to anything. We have to learn that those things are, are, are scary, you know. So do, are you also um, trying to raise children that are rationalist? Yeah, I guess there's, there's like the mindfulness angle. Um, there's also the not telling them lies about the world. Um, so, so like that, that works in a lot of ways. Like any questions they ask, I'm, I'm game to answer as far down the rabbit holes they want to go. Um, I'll, 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 I, I try my very best to never be like, okay, that's enough questions for now because I want them to, to finish building out that knowledge web. Um, you know, me and me and my wife both agreed that we weren't going to, uh, well, she, she was more wanting to do the Santa Claus thing than me. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, and and what, what it ended up being was just like, the Santa Claus story was there. We tell the story. And then at some point, my daughter finally asked, like, is this pretend? And I was like, yes, this is pretend, but it's still fun. It's still a fun thing to pretend, right? Mm. And and she wasn't crushed by it. So, so what, what do you mean? How, how did you tell her the story that she asked if it was pretend? I mean, like, did you, did you set out presents and say Santa Claus brought these or? I think, I think what we do with presents is we would just set out the presents. So did you just tell her about Santa like as a bedtime story or something? Yeah. Yeah. Like you read the night before the the night, I almost said the nightmare before Christmas, which is funny (laughs) because they they like that movie quite a bit, which speaking of kids being immune to things that are supposed to be scary, Mm. uh, they they love that movie and don't find anything at, at all scary about it. Uh, that movie uh, fucked with me more as a kid than Pet Cemetery and Chucky and all those things. Just putting that out there, but uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, that, that one terrified me when I saw it, but I was much older. Whereas they're they were small, and thus it's just like, oh, okay. It's kind of like a cartoon. The thing's head small. comes off. Yeah. yeah. Right? How old were you when you saw it? I have no idea. It would have been around the same age, maybe maybe a little older. I remember it was just one of, like that was one of the things I remember having a nightmare about when I was a kid, which I guess is appropriate given the title. <laughs> Like you're, you're kind of always inundating the kids with stories of various kinds through through media. Um, one one thing that we could talk about is like TV and how how hard it is to avoid TV. I don't know if you experienced that, Jason, but like definitely when when I had the first kid, I was like, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin this kid with television. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just not really practical to to avoid that. No, well, I mean, television is not really the biggest problem. Um, I, I don't, I don't have cable. 
Um, I, I'm a, one of the cord cutters. I he's always on YouTube though, um, and I'm kind of I'm starting to have some issues with that with him uh, because on YouTube everything's extra boisterous and you know more aggressive because he's watching like uh, game uh, playthroughs and whatnot, and I'm having to like correct him and say no. I understand this is what you're seeing on there. This is for entertainment, but that is not how uh, a behavior that you need to uh, to, to model. You, you should not be doing what they're doing. Is there a way to configure a YouTube account so that the user can't read the comments? Oh, God. Yeah, YouTube comments are the cesspit of the internet, right? Yeah, he doesn't care about the comments yet. We'll oh, see. Thank God. <laughs> one of these one of these days he's gonna ask you to clarify something you read in the comments of a YouTube video and you're gonna have some some tough questions to answer. <laughs> you know, I haven't read any YouTube comments in like two or three years now. I I think they're pretty tame on YouTube. I, I happen to share your son's interest in YouTube videos. I watch a lot of video game playthroughs and stuff. And I think the, the comments <laughs> there are pretty tame. So I just I usually don't read comment section of anything ever. Smart. There's there's just Yeah very little that's ever good in the comments aside from one or two sites that like i know the commentary it is pretty good i was gonna say occasionally i'll skim through the slate star codex comments right but you're not you're not getting youtube comments on that on that medium no yeah. reddit can be good depending on the but, yeah on the subreddit yeah what's oh yeah. what, what is your uh take on the christmas thing um pretty similar um i i was always pretty against uh, Santa Claus, um, mostly because I, I think it kind of teaches entitlement to children. Like you're just getting presents because this is you deserve presents because you're a kid, and that's what Santa Claus does because he's this magical god thing. And or he's also the punishment of if you're naughty and he's always watching you, and that is extremely creepy to me. So I, I never really liked Santa Claus. I've been kind of, I've been fairly tolerant with it uh, because my uh, my wife was more into it when he was younger, and so I I didn't really push too much against it. But as as he started getting older and we had more conversations, it, it became less of an emphasis on when came Christmas time, and now it's just kind of like it's a story. I don't know if he believes in Santa Claus, uh, but my guess is he probably doesn't. I always kind of thought of it as like the first big rationalist test. How yes. <laughs> how long until yes. they can figure this out on their own? But on the other hand, I don't want to then set the precedent that for the rest of their life, the kid is always asking, so is this another test? Well, that's not the worst way to think about it, unless you're wondering, like, are, my, are my parents lying to me? But I always thought it'd be fun. I've never had the opportunity to go to like a 12 year old and be like, remember how like you figured that stuff out about Santa Claus? Yeah. Now Jesus. <laughs> and just like see if I can make an atheist out of a kid. But I, I've never decided to, to jump into another family's life like that. So. <laughs> the uh, Santa Claus thing, that was the, that was the first time that I really realized that my parents can lie. Uh -huh. Before that point, I had absolute faith in my parents and I believed in Santa Claus much longer than the rest of the kids because I had that faith in my parents. And once like I, it, it, I finally confronted them about it when I was basically defending, uh, I was defending them when one of my friends was saying, 
this is nonsense. And they're like, yeah, it's not really. I was, I was devastated oh. because I had such utter faith in my folks. And, uh, it, it that's what made me an atheist. Did it, did it hurt your, <laughs> was like, oh, that, what was that? First of all, that's fucking awesome. But, uh, also, did that hurt your relationship with your parents? No, like, I mean, I was angry with them for a bit because, you know, you do that as a kid. Um, but then I kind of realized that, like, oh, yeah, they're people and everybody else lies now and then. And they weren't trying to hurt me. So, I, I you know, I forgave them. What, what do you do in relation to, like, other kids? Uh, like, did you tell your kid not to tell other kids that Santa was fake or – or did you just not even bring that up? Well, the biggest thing I always try to do is is not to it's spoilers, I guess. Sure. <laughs> it, it's spoilers, like you know, they'll 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 figure it out. There's no point in, in in hurting them, and you know, it's it's kind of like religion too. It's it's the same way. It's like they have their beliefs, and that's that's fine. Whatever they want to believe, there's nothing wrong with that. This is what I believe. Are the, so um, your kids are familiar with the concept of spoilers then? Or your kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, very much so. Did you? He's not allowed to watch uh, the uh, the last two Harry Potter movies yet because we're still on um, the Half-Blood Prince. Huh. Did, did you have the concept of spoilers when you were growing up, Stephen? I don't remember. The earliest spoiler I remember I was must have been... 15-ish. Whenever the second Inheritance Cycle book came out, someone ruined it for me. Mm. I mean, it was what it, I mean. It did suck because at the beginning you get the impression that this character died, and then she, then she was like, "Oh yeah, this and this." I don't want to spoil everything. Oh wait, well whatever. <laughs> it's it's been ten years. Yeah. Um, but I remember that I finished. It was either the. It was whatever the next Harry Potter book that came out after that, before she did, and I texted her. I was like, "I finished the book," and that was, or I texted her, told her at school, whoever old, whatever age this was. And I told her that, and then she was like, please don't. I was like, I'm not going to, but I could, and that's enough. I could tell you how it ends, but I'm, I'm not going to do what you did. <laughs> I I had the, um, I knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father long, long before I ever saw the first Star Wars movie. And I don't know, it just, it didn't occur to me that nowadays kids like growing up already know the concept of spoilers as they're growing up since basically media comes out all at once and you can watch it at will. Whereas before it was like, it was only on when it was on and either you saw it at the same time as everyone else or you missed out and they just talked about it around you because it's not like there was an, an, another time to see it, another chance to see it. Yeah, that reminds me, you mentioned that your kid you know, has trouble like managing his sleep and that's probably true of most kids. I remember when I was a kid, I, I think I was just t- less tired than I am now and maybe than other kids. I did this game where like I tried to stay awake and since I was on the top bunk, I would like hold the remote control or like something small off the edge so that if I fell asleep, I would drop it and then that would wake me up. And then I'd still get up at like 530 to watch cartoons with my dad before he went to work. God. So I don't know. Yeah. God, if I had that energy now, I could take over the world. But I, I that was just came to mind when you're mentioning how your kid has difficulty, you know, coordinating their level of tired or his level of tiredness. I do that sort of now. Like, now I am self-aware enough to, like, all right, time for bed. But I still get, like, this weird sense of antsiness. So I could totally imagine, like, if as a kid I was less reflective and just pushed through that initial wave of tiredness, then you're just, like, energetic but also really want to go to sleep. Mm. That's that's me three, three or four nights a week now. But at least, like, now I'm aware of it and it's fun. So 
as a kid, it was probably taxing and probably extra taxing for my parents. I said, how many times have you been tired and like grabbed your phone and now all of a sudden the next thing you know, it's falling on your face because you're passing out while playing on it. I'm better about that now, but that was that definitely has happened. <laughs> yeah, once, once I'm that tired, I have no trouble just letting myself go to bed. It's more just like if I happen to get tired at like nine, but I still have to shower and do stuff, then I'm just like at that level where, you know, all right, I'm going to just do stuff. Then I'll get in bed and just like, I don't know, flop around and let all my energy out. <laughs> so I guess going back to the, the topic itself, uh, what what things do you do to try to get your kids to be grow up as rationalists? Once again, I, I don't know if it, I'm specifically looking for him to, to find rationalism. I hope he does. Um, it, it's, it's mostly just the living the principles of it um, and being honest with him um, and, and valuing uh, growth, valuing learning from your mistakes and, and finding where you're wrong and correcting for that. Some of the things that I do, it's kind of everything. It's just the whole way that, 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 that I approach it. Um, it, it's so hard to, to think of an example. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Do you, do you have a rationalist community, uh, where you live? No. And that's part of the problem. Probably. <laughs> um, I, I living in, uh, Gainesville, Florida. It's kind of a, a small, uh, college town. Um, but for some reason there's not one here. I, I, you said that you live in a, like in a poly, uh, relationship sort of thing are like your metamors and other partners in the rationalist scene at all. Uh, no, I have, I have like two friends that are, are, that don't live around me that, um, that are, but no, pretty much none of my, <laughs> none of my friends, family or, or, uh, polycule, uh, are, are rationalists. Okay. That must make it a bit harder too. It makes it a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very envious of you guys. Oh, well, I mean, we, we don't really have kids yet. I was going to say like the, I mean, just really quick, the way to get that going is just to, you know, put out a meetup and get, get things going. I can send you this little pamphlet that, you know, is a good primer if anyone's interested, like, you know, they read this and they're like, oh, that's cool. I want to talk about it. Then they're like the kind of person who wants to come to a meetup or something. It's still read this really it's damn boring. hard to start things from meetups, though. It's not that bad. I've done it before. I, did, I started uh, uh, the local poly community. Oh, cool. Um, so I've done that. Um, unfortunately, I also kind of like burned myself out of it after about two years. Yeah. And I've thought about starting a rationalist community here. And then I thought, oh, God, not again. Hmm. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally agree. Because if no one's going to do it, I need to be the one to do it. How, how old was your kid uh, when you came into this rationalist thing? Or was it pre-kid? Uh, hmm. it, I think it was, it was before him. But not too terribly long before him. Um, I was still, I think I was still kind of going through the sequences at that time. I know I was definitely, I mean, he's, he's eight. So, uh, methods of rationality was still being written at that time. I think, I think it was um, almost pre rip methods. When did that start? God, if you say it was, uh, more than eight years ago, I'm going to feel so old. It it may have started more than eight years ago. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, that sucks. It, it took like five <laughs> years to put out, and it's been 
two and a half years now since it ended. Oh, lame. <laughs> so it was probably it was probably about seven seven to eight years ago that it began. Womp. Yeah. <laughs> you two are growing old, Stephen. Join yeah. us on the other side of the hill. <laughs> Soon I'll be as old as I feel. Oh. Um, I was gonna say something else about. Uh, Oh, I didn't I didn't weigh in on this earlier, but you mentioned, you know, talking to your kid like it's a person rather than like it's a pet. Um, I can't remember much of how that worked with me as a kid, but I do know that that's how I approach kids too. And I feel like that's just gotta be I, I maybe I'm typical minding to something that you can't typical mind to because kids are a little different, but I feel like that's gotta be awesome for them because they're not treated like people a lot. They're treated like talking plants, right? So you know, I never really noticed, and I think maybe it's because I'm just inept and bad at seeing that's, what that's, I... That's what I do, but I, I, think, I think it works out great. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I just treat like a normal person, and it, it, like I was kind of surprised when I read that article. I'm like, really? People do that? that? That stuff you saw in like shitty old movies. I read an article about somebody who got a chance to meet Stephen Hawking at like a party, mm-hmm. and she was introduced to him as like, oh, and this is Stephen. He's right here. Not uh, like... Like the same way you would talk about like a cool thing you had on your bookshelf mm-hmm. and because he couldn't talk back in real time. Oh. And uh, she, the whole thing was basically her reflecting on like how they, the people around, you know, obviously modeled him as a person, but didn't treat him like one because he couldn't respond in time. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that might be something like how people treat kids. Uh, let's see. There was that. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I think it's also just our, our, our society doesn't value the opinions of children very much. They they can just be dismissed as unimportant. I did read something just recently within the last week or two, and this is something that I've thought about a bit, and I think I made a joke before about how like every time a kid's crying, especially a young kid, it's because whatever's freaking them out is literally the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their entire life. Um, <laughs> probably. Uh, so there's at least talk about whether or not not engaging those concerns that kids have as much as like they would want you to or something is, is damaging to them or not. Hmm. I feel like it can't be that damaging because that's never happened before really. And people are more or less kind of okay right now. Um, but like not validating their concerns. Uh, like I am freaking out about, I don't know what kids freak out about that. They don't know which piece of toast to eat first. So like, you know, I, I guess, A, you have to be some just god to have the energy to engage that on every level. But I guess, do you have anything to weigh in there? Like, whether or not it's fine to, like, you know, I'm going to let you just work this out for a minute. Or, you know, I guess not engage them on, on the way that you'd engage, a, uh, I was going to say, a person. <laughs> the way you'd engage an adult on them having a, an emotional thing happening. I Yeah, I, I think one of the... One of the biggest things is to to really discuss with them about why they are upset because I've I, I've found at least with my son often when he's like getting really upset about something that doesn't make any sense it's not because he just has this weird quirk it's because he's misunderstanding the situation and it's it's a problem with communication and he's just not reading by not reading a situation right he's thinking that i'm mad at him or that i was trying to hurt him whereas in, instead what i was just trying to get him to do is to just not bump his head or something you know um and, and often when i can get him to take a deep breath that's usually what i do i say take a deep breath 
okay, now talk to me. What are, how are you feeling? And what is, why are you feeling that way? And by doing that, I can get him to kind of go through the process of does what you're feeling match the situation? And if not, then maybe we can, we can find a, a, a solution for you. You know, I think that's a good skill to have even for adults. And I think it's really cool that he's learning this, you know, before he reaches adulthood and has that in his toolbox already. Yeah. I also try to uh, model nonviolent communication with him too. What is, um, what is nonviolent communication? Um, so when you are arguing with somebody, um, you will, instead of saying, you're being a dick, you say, I feel like you're. Exactly. You say, I feel hurt because, or when you, when you insult me, because it makes me feel like I'm not valuable to you. I'm not important to you. And instead of it being an accusation, it's a collaborative sharing of this is my experience. This is how I'm interpreting the situation. And this is why it's, it matters to me. Um, and it, it, it tends to make, uh, conflicts, um, easier to resolve because people don't get quite as defensive that way. Can you hold on for just a few minutes? We have to, uh, take care of a few things right here. Matt heroically worked through the whole episode with, uh, not like a intensely nauseating inducing migraine that apparently like was supposed to get better and never did. And it just got worse. So he's taking off. Um, but thanks for, uh, hanging in as long as you did. So we'll, we'll push through the rest of this, uh, with just the three of us at this point, I think, or is there in more that we want to talk about? I don't know. Did we miss anything, Jason? Um, I can't think of anything in particular. I was kind of curious where, uh, where you, we're exposed to uh, nonviolent communication, but that, I guess that's kind of off topic. I mean, that's that's fine. It's it was related. Um, I honestly don't remember. Sometime in the last eight years, um, those were techniques that, like, I think I'd heard bits and pieces of in passing, but I hadn't heard it articulated until several years ago. Um, just that it's it's a. I also majored in psych in uh, college. Maybe that's where I heard about it, um, or in psych in high school. Um, is where I heard the, the term, but yeah, just the idea of like not having the, um, it also not having the, the context of the conversation be about what the other person did, but about your feelings about it. Cause a, that makes it like to where they can't just deny it and say, I wasn't being a dick. They can't just deny it and say, I didn't make you feel like a dick. It's like, cause you don't know that or they rather they don't know that. Is there, do you think that that uh, nonviolent communication specifically helps lead to uh, having a more rationalist out view, uh, outlook on the world as you're growing up? Uh, I don't know if it, if it leads to having a more rationalist outlook. What it leads to is more rational discussions. Instead of getting caught up in those defensive emotions of, well, no, I didn't. You did this instead. Instead of going down those, those rabbit holes, you, you, you're able to kind of come to, well, I didn't mean to hurt you. And I, I, you know, I didn't realize that I was having that effect on you. So let's, let's find a way to, to, to not do that. Um, and it works really well on kids, at least my kid. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a path to rationality or 
it might be a necessary ingredient to it in some extent, but not necessary, but it might be an ingredient to a rationalist lifestyle, um, just in that you're having a productive conversation rather than a useless one um, where you're just bickering because then it's like at least talking about the part that matters. It doesn't matter that like the sink's full of dishes. That's not like what matters is your reaction to it. And that's what you want to talk about. So it's just kind of keeping your eye more on the ball. Um, but no, I, I, I think I know people have been doing this for ages and aren't the least bit interested in rationality. So it's just a, uh, it's a separate thing. It's one of those methods we have to have difficult conversations. The, the kind of things that, that can get runaway emotions where people just don't, they're not a part of the conversation anymore. Uh, one thing that I think was in one of the emails was uh, the fact that Inuyasha and I expressed trepidation about having our priorities shuffled. We touched on that a bit in the beginning of the episode, but I was wondering if we if we missed anything there, because that was I think one thing that I mean I guess we we touched on, but I'm I'm not I'm still not convinced. Like right now, I find my time not. Uh, in fact, another Louis C.K. bit. He has this thing where you know he he's re- listening to his daughter read Clifford the Big Red Dog at a rate of fifty minutes a page, and he has to sit there and be incredibly proud and incredibly bored at the same time. But like, yeah, so like that's a super boring sounding activity, and yet at the same time, I'm sure that he and other parents find things like that super fulfilling. You know, like right now, the idea of like pushing a kid on a swing for ten minutes sounds kind of boring, but that's got to be like the highlight of your week for many parents, right? Maybe not the swing example in particular, but things that mundane. No, you're absolutely right. It was like, like I said before, when when you know, singing to to my son when he was a baby, and you know, finally got him to calm down. That that was that was a, a very rewarding moment to me. Yeah, it, it does shift your priorities some, um, quite a bit, I guess. But it's not like it subverts all your other ones. It's just you have this new high priority thing as well so i i don't know about like it supplanting other priorities as much as you just have another one too yeah i i think i can kind of imagine what that would be like i'm kind of curious if if your kid grew up um and decided to completely reject all tenets of uh you know rationality and and that sort of thinking and instead like embrace postmodern nihilism or something how 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 would you take that? And strict monogamy, like every, a lot of things that you care oh. about, that they just went the other way with. I would I, I think I would be proud of him, um, even still, because he is rejecting what he is taught and thinking for himself and choosing the path that he wants to follow. I I would probably be a bit sad at least with the the rationality part, just because that's probably some conversations that we're not going to be able to have as well, but maybe we'll have some really good arguments instead. And that'll be kind of cool. Um, as for monogamy, I don't really care what, whatever relationship style he, he has a preference for. Um, I, I just want him to be happy and loved. What would be your, I guess, one biggest piece of advice to raise a kid rationally or to raise a rationalist kid? Or both. Honesty. Don't don't lie to your kids for any reason, even if it seems convenient or that they will be happier in the moment. Be gentle, but always be honest. Because otherwise you're you're 
you're destroying their map of reality and that's inherently violent. I think um, Julia Galef had an anecdote from her childhood that she shared on one of the Rationally Speaking episodes where apparently her parents were like amenable to reasons from her being at an early age. And I, I can't remember any examples that she gave, but it was like, you know, they would say we should do this or, you know, something, whether it's like bedtime or whatever. And then like she and her brother could present counter arguments and they would say, that's actually a good point. Let's do what you said. Hmm. Like that, that level of interaction, I think is just a lot of like humanizing children. Like we were talking about earlier, right? Just like actually listening to them. And then, you know, like you would an adult person and just consider what they're, what they're saying, like it actually matters. And, you know, uh, lo and behold, it's great for him. Right. So I thought that was a fun anecdote too. I agree. Uh, that's something I, I do with, with my son all the time. Now there's certain times where I'll say, I, we don't have time to talk about this right now. I will be happy to, to listen to your, your argument when we have the time, but I will always have those, those, uh, discussions with him and I will always listen to his opinion and, and if if he's right, I will admit it, and I'll go with what he says. I think that's just like an adult person. You don't necessarily have time for the argument, but that doesn't mean that you won't res- you know give them the respects to have it at some point. So I think that's awesome. All right. Uh, well, it appears to be 10 o'clock, and I think we hit the things we wanted to hit on, unless you have anything else. Uh, not that I can think of other than just uh, thanks for having me on. This has been really fun. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for talking to us and hopefully we can talk to you again at some point. I look forward to it. Yeah. I really appreciate you, you volunteering to come on and do this with us. It uh, was a very valuable perspective and a good conversation. And thank you for inviting me. Yeah, man. Uh, and I know Gainesville, Gainesville is two hours ahead. So thanks for also staying up till midnight with us and hanging out. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> we won't keep you up. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Take care. Good night. Right, take care. Thanks. Hello, we are back, or by we, I mean me and Matt are back. Uh, Matt had to leave about halfway through the previous episode, as you could probably tell by him dropping out due to illness, and he wanted to come back and touch on a few things before we put the episode live, so he is here now, and I am going to continue a bit with him. Welcome back, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I appreciate the opportunity to to finish up, because I was really uh, excited to talk about all this stuff. Are you feeling better today? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Glad to hear that. Okay, so um, one thing that I really wanted to get your input on, and well, both your guys' input on, and I, you know, wasn't able to ask you, was um, what you you have the two kids, and the oldest one is five. Yeah, I have a, I have three. I have five, a three year old, and a and a one year old. Okay. Um, the, I'm not sure how much they get out and socialize with other children right now, but what do you tell them about interacting with the rest of the world? Like, uh, do you give them any direction on socialization that's rationalist informed? Um, you know, where, where it seems appropriate, I, I try to, it, it's, it's, uh, especially with the five-year-old because she understands, um, m- many things, but usually you have to couch it in a way that is designed, uh, to be interpreted by by her her view of things um um i i don't know how specific to get into it but like um in terms of playing with other children she'll she'll report kind of like interpersonal problems with other children at school and you kind of have to 
uh, think through like, okay, what, first of all, what is actually happening versus how she's reporting it? Because um, it's like, like very often she'll, she'll say someone was being mean and it's like, well, were they being mean or did they just want to play with their own toy that you were trying to take from them, for example? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, uh, and so just try to, to give, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's, that it's necessarily rationalist so much as just like trying to apply a, a, a lens of like, uh, one, one thing I try to encourage in her is, is perspective taking, which is really, I'm not sure if it's something that she's neurologically capable of yet um, in, in terms of, you know, not, not having that, that brain module online yet, but like say like, well, what do you think this feels like to this person? Um, a, a lot of what that comes up in is um, just her, her interaction with her, her brother who's three and they get along really well, like 70% of the time. And then if, certain combinations of blood sugar and, and sleep deficit are, are not met, then they don't get along very well. And, and, and it can be, it can be unpleasant, but like you, you try to try to intercede in that in a way that isn't just like stop yelling at each other because that doesn't solve any problem. That doesn't address anything. It's more like, okay, why, why is this person, um, you know, vexing you in this particular way and, and try to think through it rather than, um, just react to it and, um, maybe have some, some self-awareness again all of this is like aimed at maybe an older kid but i just i kind of uh i don't know i i feel like when you expect more of kids they um rise to the challenge yeah they rise to the challenge like like one thing is like um this may be kind of condescending toward my brother but like my brother was five years younger than me and I i i feel like the fact that he was always essentially acted like a peer to me and i treated him like a peer to me um kind of accelerated his social development in certain ways, perhaps. And I try to apply that kind of uh, perspective toward, toward the kids. Like, do you view this whole having kids thing as this really cool in-depth sociology project or, cause I mean, that's, that's kind of how I think of it, but I don't have any children, you know? And so I'm like, it would be fun to experiment with little brains and see what I can do. But then I'm assuming once actual emotions and being responsible for a life get involved, it would be quite a bit different. I mean, there's definitely an element of, of that. Um, like one thing that I'm continually made aware of is that um, the uh, the details of the kid's individual personality usually trump any like intent of, of doing experiments that you intended. So like um, they're just, they're all just really impatient whenever I, like for example, I, I don't, I mean, this is probably no surprise to anyone who knows me or is a rationalist, but like if you, uh, there was the recent um, um, Slate Star Codex post about the Polgar sisters, and I was and I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to get out a chessboard, and I'm going to try to. I'm I'm at least going to see how far we can go. And of course, the answer is we went about five minutes because, first of all, uh, it just comes down to temperament and just being like, okay, this is the this is the this is this piece, and then one of the kids grabs it off the board, and you're like, well, <laughs> let me hold on, let me. Let, the, it goes like this, and then the other one like just starts like moving them around like they're you know army men or whatever, and you're like, okay, I, I understand how this is not going to work the way I was imagining (laughs) and that's fine. Um, I mean, I guess I kind of, like I alluded to earlier, the only way in which I quote unquote experiment is like when I see them having a conflict, I very much try not to just be like, stop yelling at each other. You go over there, you go over there. I try to be more like, um, everyone let's sit down and understand why we're having this screaming argument. Um, that makes no sense and, and resolve it and go back to being pleasant with each other because, and it usually works too i i find unless they're just like really chronic like overtired and then it's just like okay well you just need a nap um and 
this is one thing I noticed even when I was a kid is like, I would see other kids having tantrums and just be like, the parents in the situation are not letting them nap. Like that's all that's happening. Like they're just, you're, you're not, it, it, it's, it's as if someone were dragging you around in the middle of the night and you're just like, leave me alone. I'm, I'm exhausted. Um, you, you haven't fed me properly. You haven't let me sleep properly. Why do you, why are you surprised that I'm, that I'm having a breakdown right now? Um, so I just try to be like, I, I try to, first of all, never do that to them because it's, I see it as somewhat cruel. And then if I, if I feel like, okay, we have, we have, we have to be out today longer than usual for some, for some reason, and we're not going to get the naps and we may be late getting a meal. Then I try not to be like, what is wrong with you that you're having a normal human reaction to malnutrition and, and whatever. Um, yeah. So did you have anything you wanted to jump in with? So yeah, I, I had some, I had some, some general parenting notes that, and it, none of which are, are like rationalist per se. Um, but, but they're all sort of like the things that come up when you have, when you try to be like thoughtful about certain things, like, um, be careful with, you know, there, there's at a certain point they get old enough that you kind of have to issue threats to get them to do things. And if you have, you know, smart kids, which I mean, most kids are pretty smart, actually, like they will quickly learn like to take advantage of when you're bluffing. Mm. So like, um, uh, I mean, one time it's kind of funny, my, my dad was visiting and, uh, and, and he was, and he actually said like, you, you, you know, you know, we were, we were out at a restaurant and he was like, uh, he was like, calm down or, or we're going to have to go out to the car. And my son immediately goes like, okay, let's go to the car. And, 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 and my dad thought that was hilarious because that would always work on me when I was a kid. Um, but, but like just, he, he was just like, oh, I, basically he knows on some level, you don't want to take me to the car. You want to stay here. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this costly for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's sort, sort of, sort of game theory, I guess, if, if you want to twist it and make it rationalist is, is you're, you're playing an iterated game, uh, with, with the kids. So first of all, you, you, even if you were bluffing now, you have to actually com- go through with your threat. Otherwise they see that like you're, you're giving in. Um, so you, did your dad take them out to the car? He, he, he did. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was funny. Um, so yeah, like, I try to offer, you know, in terms of game theory, I try to offer, offer like compromises that will be acceptable to them rather than just being completely hardline all the time because then they just balk at everything. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how much of this. It's, it's interesting. I always, I'm never sure like what, which of my strategies are, are things that I've had to adopt because I have three of them and they they um, play off each other and, and sort of run interference for each other and, and, and distract for each other on kind of an unconscious way. Um, and it, but, uh, yeah, th- these are, these are the strategies that I use. And, and I, I, I don't know if I said this last, last recording session, but none of this is really like, uh, um, I, I'm not putting myself forth as a, as a primo rationalist parent who, who has read all of the literature and, um, and applies all of the strategies consistently. It's more like, these are the things that I end up doing with the, the smattering of rationality exposure and, and, uh, attempt to be thoughtful um yeah this is a little weird and it's been bothering me a little bit but um so rationalism is sort of kind of an ideology and i i remember in my atheist days uh like i'm still atheist obviously but like in the more uh hardcore strident days there'd be uh pictures shared of three kids and uh like that said this is a muslim kid this is a christian kid this is a jewish kid 
And uh, the comment underneath it being, you wouldn't say that, you know, oh, this is a Democratic kid, this is a Republican kid, this is a Libertarian kid. It's wrong to put kids into these categories before they even have any idea what they are. Um, and I mean, I, I slightly disagree with that now because there's a lot to be said about being raised in a culture uh, and influencing who you are. But how do you like, are you trying to raise kids as expi- explicitly rationalist? And how do you feel about that? Like, is it at all weird to try to impose an ideology on someone who is too young to consent to that sort of thing? Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, that uh, I, Honestly, I don't know if I've thought it through in those exact terms, but um, I definitely... Um, like if they were to decide that they didn't want to be like ideologically rationalist, then I, I wouldn't mind too much because I don't, um, I don't feel like rationalism is, is a, is a concrete enough thing to even be, um, something that I would feel comfortable imposing on them. Uh, there are certain like tools and ways of thinking more like is how I see it that I try to, to I try to convey to them and, and, and in a way where I'm never sure if it's even working, like, I'll offhandedly just be like, well, it's it's good to find out that you're wrong because then you can fix your mistake, which is, you know, not something that I remember being told ever, but is super, you know, core to the rationalist ideology, the, the whole, you know, it's called less wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I do, you know, there's certain, there's certain ideologies, I guess, like uh, last weekend, so, so my daughter wanted some toy that was like really expensive. And I decided like, well, this is an opportunity because she really wants it. She keeps talking about it. So we're going to make a lemonade stand and she's going to earn this money. So we, we, I, I elided all of the facts that setting up a lemonade stand costs way more than the toy that she wanted. (laughs) Um, So I just, I just sprung for that. Um, and, and we, we, we set it up and put it in the front yard and, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to work exactly because, and, and, and I can probably spin this a variety of ways. Um, but she, uh, it, it, we ended up having a number of people drive by and stop and, and buy lemonade. And, uh, and so in terms of an ideology, that was just, that's sort of like how I, I'm, I'm not going to give her any lectures about capitalism, for example, but I'm just going to be like, if you want something and you're living in this world, um, then this is how you. This is, this is one approach for going about that is you, you make, you, you provide something for other people that they want, you get money and then you buy the thing that you want. Um, so because a five-year-old even is not going to understand any attempt, at, like lecturing them about, about ideology. So I, I use the lemonade stand as an example of just saying like, there's probably all kinds of instances where I'm imposing or, or, or communicating my ideology to them through through actions like that, but not thinking of it as being an ideological indoctrination procedure. Did, did she make enough for her toy? Uh, no, um, but uh, I, I'm, yeah, and that was probably like a, a misstep on my part because I was like, there, there was actually no way she was going to make enough for her toy in, in one <laughs> in one day. Uh-huh. So I was like, you know what, I can I can trick them into basically learning more and more about how to like run a tiny baby business um, in the course of earning enough money for this toy. Um, and then, and then, uh, I will have, I will have raised a set of entrepreneurs who can go on and, and be successful at, at whatever. Cause that, that's one thing I think about a lot is like, I don't know if the institutions of like universities are going to be anything like what they look like right now when they're, when they're that age. So I'm kind of thinking like trying to prepare them with some more, uh, immediately actionable skills, uh, like, 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 you know, I didn't understand how to, I don't understand how businesses worked until I was 
in graduate school. Um, oh, wow. And I, I mean, like, I, I didn't bother to think about it. You know what I mean? Okay, um, yeah. yeah. So, so I'm like, you know, this is one thing where I think it's kind of important. So I'm just going to huh. employ this in their lives. Is that common, do you think? Like, my, my dad had his own business, so I was raised from that from the very beginning, and I don't, I don't know, do you think most people don't know how, how the business economy works until late? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what resolution you're talking about. Like, like I, I clearly, you know, as a, as a teenager understood that you, you know, you make money and you bring it to the person and they give you a thing. Yeah. But like, in terms of, um, you know, the fact that you, you, you have a lot of overhead and, and just details of, I mean, I, I basically what happened was I ended up taking like a, a introductory business course, like late in my undergraduate. And that got me, you know, that, that kind of injects a lot of ideas into your head that weren't there before. And then you're like, Oh wow, this is actually more complicated than I realized. Huh. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so just having exposure to like grocery stores and stuff, I don't, I don't think that gives you, you know, an understanding of, of a lot of, the economics concepts or the the microeconomics concepts that are that are central to you know r running a business for for a certainty or or even just understanding um you know basic basic ideas like like how is amazon growing if amazon doesn't make any any profit and it's like well they you know they do that on purpose and it's a it's a trick and you know once you understand it, it makes perfect sense but uh i wonder if maybe we should have more sort of business and econ classes earlier in schooling yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, that's a great idea. I mean, I, I, uh, I think you should at least, they should at least teach how to like start, um, you know, start an LLC or whatever, just, just enough to like be legally okay to be running a business. That's one thing I was thinking about with the lemonade stand is I'm like, I, I had to make a few calls actually to be like, can I even do this? Am I going to get, mm. you know, somebody drinks my lemonade and has food poisoning am i going to get sued and ruin my life like this is the world we live in now right so yeah. um it turned out that uh, that that doesn't seem to be the case although i can imagine all kinds of terrible failure modes yeah. um at you least have some trust in your neighbors yeah exactly do you have like really good frontage on your road or was it just a few people in your neighborhood it, it's, it's on a corner and um and it, i guess we just happened to be doing it at a time of day when people were coming home from from errands or whatever um did you make or keep working like the next several days to to make enough no so i, I mean there, there wasn't really any uh, like I, I i don't have the ability to do that based on scheduling but um ah. I, I i uh i intend on basically kind of we'll do it whenever like on weekends whenever there's nothing else to be doing and um like i ended up doing almost all the work obviously so i'm going to gradually make them do more of the work so that's uh just kind of a training wheels idea basically i uh when i was god when did the nes came out come out i think i was around nine or ten years old and it was 99 dollars. and my dad paid me a dollar an hour to work for him and i had to work a hundred hours to afford that thing uh -huh. it was it was an intense lesson the the biggest lesson was i got up to the counter with my hundred dollars and then there was tax uh -huh. and i was like oh <laughs> god no and my parents were like we'll cover it <laughs> yeah yeah i still remember the drop in the the heart feeling yeah right and that was the day you became a capitalist <laughs> that was the day i became a true communist yeah. i was like everyone should have these nintendos for free yeah right <laughs> No, I, yeah, it was, it was an interesting upbringing. Yeah. Um, that's, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say like, um, the, you know, the idea of allowance is something that, 
that that is that a lot of people try to use to um, convey a sense of of money, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I found like for myself that that didn't connect to like the reality of of, of making money at all because it's almost like you just get passive income for doing kind of what you were expected to do anyway and it's yeah. it's not connected to effort you don't like if you at least the way it was set up for me when i was a kid like it wasn't like oh you you do twice as many chores you get twice as much money it was just like this is the amount of money that you get yeah. um and, and so like that's that's yet another reason why i kind of wanted to try out the lemonade stand idea is just like i want them to see some connection between like what you actually are doing and and what uh what money you can make through that um um, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying like everyone should do the lemonade stand thing. It's just like, this was, this, this was what occurred to me as being a little bit more organic maybe than, than an allowance. Oh yeah. So how old were your kids when you came into this rationalism thing? Not born yet. No. So. Oh, okay. So you've been doing it from the very beginning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I think I, when, when the, when the first baby was born, I, I like wanted to, I didn't actually do this, um, because of laziness mainly, but I wanted to paint like an elaborate, um, rendition of, of, um, um, if there's a diamond in the box, I want to believe there's <laughs> a diamond in the box. If, if there's not, I, I, I don't, uh, let me not become attached to beliefs I may not want. Mm-hmm. Um, and various, you know, just those, those various things I wanted to, I wanted to have those around the house similar to how like God never closes the door without opening a window are, are in uh, normal houses because I think some of them are very beautiful sentiments. Uh, some of the rationalist uh, um, litanies or, or whatever are very beautiful sentiment, sentiments and also useful. Like they come up a lot. Some of them come up a lot for me, like just as, as something that I can fall back on and it's pithy and, and compelling and makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. This, I, I think I feel I know the answer to this, but we've sort of got a little proto-rationalist community in Denver and I think, you know, Hopefully we're going to try to, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but I was going to ask if having the rationalist community makes any difference, but I'm kind of assuming it doesn't since, I mean, I've never seen your kids or anything at any of the meetups. Yeah. Well, I, I would definitely like want to okay it with people first if I was going to bring kids and I don't know, I don't know what, a. I mean, honestly, what that would probably look like. First of all, uh, they're probably too late for them right now. Well, like in terms of like their bedtime is, is essentially when our, when our meetings start. Yeah. Um, and if I were to bring them, it would probably be when they're old enough to have a conversation. Um, yeah, we don't really have any kid-friendly activities. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. They, they wouldn't. I don't. I honestly don't think they would get a whole lot out of it, um, other than maybe just more exposure to a wider variety of human beings. Um, but I don't think. Honestly, I don't think that's why people come to the rationalist meetings. I don't think they want to have to like help raise your children through. You know, right. Um, I mean, it, it's a cool idea. And, and when they're older, I certainly would, would consider doing that. I think that's basically all I had okay. for follow-up. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? I, I, think, uh, I think I hit all of the points in my, in my notes. And, and I, I'm, I'm sure I talked about a lot of these things last time. Uh, I guess the, the only thing I don't think I've um, talked about at all is th- there was this biodeterminist guide to parenting that was in the rational sphere. Um, oh, was and, that done by Gwern? Uh, well, so so I know Gwern has said things about this. Uh, Scott Alexander has said things about this. Uh, Ozymandias has said things about this. Um, and, and and one particular point I wanted to address is that somehow uh, it comes up a lot that that it's the, the statements statements of the variety of 
uh, parenting has 50% of the influence and genetics has 50% of the influence on, on outcomes. And like that, that never sat right with me. And, and I did some reading about it prior to this podcast. And, um, what, what kind of came out was that the like influence of parenting term is usually, um, calculated in a, in a misleading way. Um, I, I unfortunately did not write down the notes of what exactly that means. Um, but, but basically it's like, uh, it's, it's normalizing over, over groups that are already similar, I believe. So like, you know, it, it's one thing to say, like, obviously you can, you can grievously harm a child's outcomes by treating them terribly and you can be responsible for 100% of their outcome if you do it that way. Right. So it's like within the narrow band of parents who are already doing a great job, there's 50% variation in terms of the outcomes. That, that's, that's like a better way of saying it. And, and that to me is a lot more common sense. Like, like that, that parses a lot better than, than like um, really 50% of the outcome is, is, is genetic. Like, I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, and, and I really don't think I'm just being biased as like a parent who wants to feel important because obviously every kid is different in, in, in ways that very much seem innate and, and nothing, nothing you did cause it, or even they're manifesting personality traits at an age that's way too young for them to have like picked it up. Well, the kids were kind of grabbing pieces off the chessboard, despite <laughs> the parenting you were trying to do on that board. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it, 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 it's a lot, it's a lot them. Right. But like you can clearly, you can clearly influence their environment a tremendous amount. Like you can look at the, the Polgar sisters example of somebody like if I were really like if, it, if I were dedicated, I probably could teach them to play chess, right? It, it wouldn't necessarily be pleasant for them or, 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 or for me, uh, but it could probably, could probably happen. I don't know if I could make them grandmasters like that's that, that does come in more like, okay, well, do they have the innate, you know, capability for that? So when you say 50% parenting and 50% genetics, that seems to leave out the entirety of their peer group and the rest of the community. Wouldn't, isn't that also a very big influence? Like I think even having you and your genes being raised here in Colorado would be vastly different from being raised in some place like China or, you know, India and elsewhere in the world. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where this is now completely out of my depth, honestly. Um, and, and I may even be misspeaking and like there's, there's the concept of, of um shared environment um which is basically everything about the um the environment that the kid like for example if you take if you take siblings um and you try to examine their outcomes i believe everything everything about their lives that is not due to genetics is considered due to shared environment I may be wrong about this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the commenters will correct me. So parenting is obviously a big part of shared environment because if they're siblings, they have the same parents um, and then they, they live in the same house and they're exposed to the same toxins and they probably go to, you know, if not the same school, then they go to similar socioeconomic, socioeconomically, you know, calibrated schools. Um, um, it just, it, yeah, it's just one of those things where it seems to me like, I don't think there's, I think there's a level of, of, of not not deceptiveness i don't think anyone's trying to be deceptive with, with the way they're saying it i think it's just like a term of art that has gotten out of hand when people say only 50 percent of the outcome is due to um is due to shared environment because it's like well like you just said if if you drop someone in a vastly inferior like talk about you know 1500 years ago in 
in some place that's not doing very well, I, I don't think they're going to end up being a quantum physicist. Like, and so how do you, right. yeah. So, uh, that is everything I got. Cool. Yeah, me too. Okay. Excellent. Uh, we're going to wrap this up then. I will say that with the uh, length of the prior episode plus this edition, we are not going to have any time for listener feedback. So expect more listener feedback in the next episode. And now for our regular segment where we thank one of our supporters. This week, our thanks go out to Roman who is supporting us and at patreon.com and helps make the show possible. Thank you, Roman. Thanks, Roman. That's awesome. We really appreciate it. Yay. And also thanks to our sound engineer, Kyle Moore, who helps make us sound amazing. Thanks, Kyle. Or at least, you know, audially amazing, even if our content is. <laughs> <laughs> content isn't, isn't his fault. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, all, right. all right. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you in two weeks. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.